you glad to be here this morning? What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord one more time. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to God speak Calvary Chapel. We honor the presence of God and to my friend, my brother, the person of Pastor Rod McCoy and to each of you, my father's children, uh, to my wife and to our psalmist for today, uh, Pastor Michael McCurtis and his praise team and to those that come from St. Paul. And to each of you, I am hippopotamus glad and elephant happy <laughs> to be here, to be home, uh, to be around the folks that I love and have come to literally adore. And one of the highlights over the last few months of my evangelism tours has been looking forward to coming to Calvary Chapel. I am glad to be here. Um, Just so you'll know, uh, my schedule has just been crazy. Just uh, as a matter of fact, last week um, we were in Las Vegas. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Vegas doing revival and flew uh, to Kansas and from Kansas uh, to uh, Arkansas, from Arkansas back to Las Vegas, from Vegas up to Sacramento, uh, Stockton this past week, and uh, drove all night last night to get here today, do a funeral tomorrow at one o'clock, and preach four times Easter Sunday morning sunrise service, 8 o'clock service, and 9.30 service, and 11 o'clock service. 6 o'clock in the morning, get a flight to Oklahoma City, and I'll be there all week. So y'all pray for me that God will continue. But I am having a great time. Amen? Amen. And don't feel sorry for me. I told y'all last time, don't feel sorry for me now that I'm retired and doing evangelism work. I feel like a young man that just got out the penitentiary. I'm excited. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Word of God. From the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. Chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you have it, say amen. Amen. If you don't have it, it's on page 1446. If you have a good Bible, amen. It's good to see my sister Angie. Amen. She's been sick. It's good to see you, sis. Thank you for coming. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. 
I want to talk for a few minutes this afternoon about the doctrine of Good Friday. Amen. The doctrine of Good Friday. So often we have heard musings and teachings on the seven last sayings. And most of us, we look forward to hearing the powerful principles that emerge from those seven last sayings. And those powerful words never get old. The words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Never gets old. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Mother, behold thy son. And and all of those words, and I, I wanted to preach this afternoon, uh, what to do when you're having a bad day. <laughs> and that's really what I wanted to preach initially because actually Good Friday was a bad day for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when you're having a bad day, the first thing that you got to do when you're having a bad day is forgive those who created the bad day. And it goes on like that. But 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 a, a closer uh, scrutiny of this text and as I, as I sought the Lord about what to do, I, I came to the conclusion that it's important that we understand more than the traditional dynamics of Good Friday and get to the basics and to l- examine some of the underlings of how Good Friday impacts us. Paul is that that prophet, that teacher, the, that apostle, who, who actually gave powerful doctrinal context to all that happened on that Friday afternoon. When he says here, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That text, my brothers and sisters, really brings us back to basic Christianity. And what's going on in Christendom today, we have so many motivational speakers and people who are preaching good, feel-good sermons. And, and, and we have somehow or another left the basics of Christianity. And we're more inclined to gravitate to those teachers who have given us an appetite for things that make us feel good and cozy. And, 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 and we don't want to hear anything anymore about the cross or about discipline or about sin and, and fundamentally what Christ did on the cross. And I believe it's time for us to get back to the basics. Back to the basics. The book of Galatians is, is, is a basic primer on Christianity. And it teaches us that Christianity and, and all the doctrines that are undergirding our belief system is really what brings us together at the cross. Note 
footnote. Nothing that is essential should be circumstantial. Nothing that is necessary should rest upon chance, human agency, sight, situation, location, color of skin, context of culture, or anything like that. If it is necessary to go or to get from earth to glory, if it is necessary for you to see the Lord's face in peace, if it is mandatory for you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it must be available to everyone at any time under any circumstance or contingency. It must be available to everyone who desires a closer walk with God and a harmonious relationship with the Savior. It was at the cross we find that. Jesus did not have a chance to baptize the thief on the cross. When the thief said, when you get to your kingdom, remember me. On that Good Friday, that, 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 that thief understood that if he would just engage the master, that the master had the power to save him. And Jesus said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus did not baptize him three times. Come on. Come on. He didn't take it. He didn't tell him to run around the cross three times. He didn't, he didn't take him through a whole bunch of gyrations. There were no requirements or restrictions or regulations. Right at that moment, Jesus saved him. And the circumstance did not matter because he felt it necessary to reach out and ask Christ for another chance. Aren't you glad that the Lord didn't take you through a whole bunch of gyrations for you to be saved? Oh, come on. Aren't you glad that the scripture says they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised them from the dead, he said we would be saved. It's just that simple. You know the drill. Ray Charles can see it and Stevie don't have to wonder. It's just that simple. Why do we make things so complicated and convoluted when salvation is so easy and so free? Nothing that is circumstantial, nothing that is essential can be circumstantial. Now, here's the deal. When you believe the truth, when you embrace truth, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth is what gives us the proper foundation. That's why knowing false doctrine and understanding basic Christian doctrine is so essential to becoming all that God would have us to be. What is truth? Truth is an objective, eternal standard, which is standard to all reasonable people. That, that's truth. But, but truth has ceased to become reasonable and objective 
truth has now become subjective. Huh? Depending on your frame of reference. Depending on who you are, where you are, what the dynamics are. We, 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 we choose how to frame truth. But truth has no room to be framed. Truth has no room and does not give credence to manipulation. Truth is what it is. Look at somebody and tell them truth is what it is. It, and, 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 so, and so this concept of truth and this understanding of basic Christianity and what the cross means to us is, the, is really the context of the book of Galatians. Paul writes literally to a church that had broken his heart. He writes to a church who had forgotten that everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. He had written to a church where there were those who felt a sense of superiority because they were Jews and, and, and they had been circumcised and they kept every tenet of the law because they dotted every I and crossed every T with respect to Jew, Jewish uh, law, that they were superior to these uncircumcised, wild, crazy, uncool on class Galatians who had become who came out of the Gentile second so Paul says Paul says you foolish Galatians you have allowed these Judaizers to make you feel less than who you are he says you foolish Galatians who did bewitch you that you should not obey the truth and because of their sense of inferiority, their liberty got lulled into somebody's legalism. Their Christ had become transfixed into somebody's creed and love had become lulled into somebody's law and, and their freedom became oscillated in somebody's fixation on the law and so finally Paul had to say wait a minute if you're going to be all that God has called you to be and if what Christ did on the cross still has relevance to you Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He whom the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. And so, and so while Paul, uh, Pastor Rob was, excuse my vernacular, while Paul was checking Peter, While Paul was putting Peter in his place and reminding Peter that we're one in him and that, it, and that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and that the gospel of Christ is universal and inclusive while he reminds Peter that prejudice and cultural arrogance has no place 
in the kingdom of God. He ends this chapter by helping us to understand some basic Christian doctrine when he says, I am crucified with Christ. Now, I got a few points that I want to share with you, and then I'm going to let you go and have some fish this afternoon. It is Friday, right? (laughs) I am crucified with Christ, first of all. This doctrine of Good Friday is personal. Personal. He says, I, I have my own testimony. I am. I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I have been crucified. And until you make your relationship with God and what happened on the cross personal, it can never change any dynamic in your life. We're here today, not because this is a social gathering, not because we're here to to rub shoulders with important people. We're here because the cross has become personal. Come on. It, it, It has to be personal. And so often we have made church and Christianity and all of what we, we have made it social when salvation is a personal dynamic. I cannot be saved piggybacking a riding shotgun on my mama's salvation. I've got to know him for myself. I've got to confess him for myself. The cross is personal. Here's the deal. What happened on Good Friday became more political and social than personal. Watch this. Because how many people did Jesus feed? 5,000 men not including the women and children in the days before birth control. <laughs> if she, if, and if each man had a wife, that's 10,000, right? And if they had at least two children, I mean children, that's 30,000. He fed 30,000 people with two big fat tuna fishes and five rolls of high old crackers. Y'all don't know nothing about that. (laughs) Two fish, five barley loaves, 30,000. When they said crucify him, somebody should have taken personal responsibility and say, not so. He fed me. That woman caught in the very act of adultery. Where was she? The man that Jesus healed, the lepers that he cleansed, the miracles that he wrought. 
they became so ingrained into the frenzy of the crowd that they did not take personal responsibility to testify when somebody needed to speak up. Lord have mercy. I don't know what's worse, a verbal enemy or a silent friend. But that's why the songwriter said, that's why the psalmist said, I feel like shouting right now. Not yet though, Michael, but I feel like shouting right now. That's why the Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Who, come on, let the redeemed, that, that's why the, I love the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior. Oh, come on. It don't stop there. Look at somebody and tell them it's personal. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He making me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth beside the still waters. He restoreth. He restored my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yezo, walk through the valley of the shadows of death. Will fear no evil for thou art with thy rod and thy staff. They comfort. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of thou anointest head with all my cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever the cross is personal I am crucified hallelujah I am I am shout I am I, I am crucified with Christ but notice, he says, I am with him. Yeah, I'm crucified with him. That means that the cross is not just personal. It is positional. Because, listen, there are times when many of us have gone through devastating and debilitating circumstances in life. And everybody in the world seems to be against you. But, but there's something about knowing that one person has positioned themselves by you can make all the difference in the world. I looked at Jackie Robinson, uh, the movie about Jackie Robinson, the other week, and uh, I forgot who was the the the, the, the white ball player. He, uh, everybody was hurling all kinds of accusations, and I think it was come on, Pee Wee Reese. Thank you, thank you. Help me for it was Pee Wee Reese who just went by, stood and positioned himself next to Jackie Robinson. That statement did not need verbiage. He simply positioned himself to the right person in the right place. Listen, when the 
doctrine of Good Friday is embedded in your spirit and it becomes personal, you will find yourself in the right position, being crucified with Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful to know that, that whenever I suffer, whenever I am persecuted, whenever I am laughed at and scorned, belittled and misunderstood and misused, and my life seems to be going against the political grain, I am in a good position. Because I am crucified with Christ. That's why the old folks used to sing the song, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone and All the World Go Free. Though there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Can I say something a little more practical, a little lighter? Amen. Because this doctrinal stuff can get a little heavy. (laughs) Sometimes you've got to watch where you position yourself in church. You can't just sit by everybody. Amen. Because when, when, when you worship God, you've got to be in the right position. They, they call it the liturgical paradigm where the posture of my body coincides with the condition of my heart. So when, Lord have mercy. So when I raise my hand, I'm saying, Lord, I thank you. I worship you. I surrender because my body has positioned its apparatus to give glory to God. So when you come to church next Sunday, get from between madness and sadness and go sit over here between goodness and mercy. (laughs) Somebody help me say position. But number three, number three, Good Friday doctrine suggests that not only is it personal and positional, it should always include a willingness to be persecuted. I'm crucified. I'm crucified. I I don't need to go over the details of, uh, of the intricacies of his crucifixion. Your, your pastor is, is a master at framing uh, the nuances of what happened on the cross. I'm not that that detailed. But when it's all said and done, the principle is, is very powerful. When you understand what Good Friday is all about, whatever you go through, you go through it with grace. Whatever you go through, you go through it without complaining. You go through it without giving everybody grief about your circumstance. Jesus never said a mumbling word. And the first words he spoke on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine? I'm glad. I'm glad that it was Jesus on the cross and not me because I I would have called legions of angels. Hello, somebody. I would have called my reinforcements. Jesus 
said, forgive them. You know why? Because he understood that persecution was a part of the salvific process. He did not come to ride on a red carpet of ease. Jesus intentionally came to die. Everybody that he healed was on his way to the cross. And that's why you can't embrace this health, wealth, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, speak it into (laughs) existence, watch it come to battle. Oh, that's good. But Jesus did not come to give you a manner in which you can just name it and claim it. He came to die. He became, Lord have mercy, the propitiation of our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the world. Paul said he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, Jesus. I'm crucified. I'm almost done. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, Lord have mercy, yet not I, here here it is, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, hallelujah. That means that the doctrine of Good Friday suggests that we are powerful, we're powerful, Christ lives in me, hallelujah, he lives, I am powerful, why do you think that the world becomes so intimidated when you walk in the room as a Christian. That's why the political systems are intimidated when Christians speak up. Muslims can speak up and nobody says anything. The Buddhists can speak up and we're tolerant and everybody can, but as soon as those of us who have been crucified with Christ When we speak up, all of a sudden something happens. It's because there is a power in you that works through you, that works on the world and keeps them intimidated. You are powerful. I call it, I call it uh, 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 mystical, reciprocal indwelling. (laughs) That's just... It's just a fancy way of, uh, of, of, of being reminded when my grandmother would um, light her fireplace and uh, she had this little stick, a poke, okay? And she would use the poke to, you know, move the wood around to make sure the fire's hot. But one day, uh, her greens was about to boil over and she left the poke in the fire. But when she came back, not only was the poke in the fire, the fire was in the poke. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. When you are in Christ and you stay in Christ long enough, Christ will live in you. That, that, that's why when Jesus said after the crucifixion and he went to, he went to Galilee and, and, and he spoke with the disciples and they went up to the Mount of Olives to descend. He said, don't stand here. Don't, don't wait here. Go to Jerusalem 
and be endowed with power from on high. And the Bible says, the Bible says that when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, he said to them, I'm going to send you another comforter. That, that, that word another comes from the Greek word heteros, which means another one just like me. Come on now. And when he says, I'm going to give you somebody else just like me, he says, I'm going to give you a power. I'm going to put something in you. I was around you. And in the Old Testament, God was for you. But now I'm going to live in you. And you're going to do greater works because of the power of Good Friday. Shout hallelujah, somebody. I, I got to close. I, can I give y'all one more? So, so, so we got the power. It's personal. It's positional. We're persecuted. It's powerful. But notice what he says. The life that I now live in the flesh. Stop right there. The doctrine of Good Friday is also Practical. Somebody help me say it's practical. Do you know that God is concerned about all? Somebody help me say all. All of the practicalities of life. God is concerned your salvation has dynamics that affects every intricacy of your life. The cross should affect who you live with. The cross should affect how you spend your money. The cross should affect the people that you socialize with. The cross should affect who you vote for. The cross should affect how you treat your body. The cross should affect how you befriend and engage people. There is nothing in this life that should not be committed to lining up with the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That practicality, the practicalities of life, I'm almost done, brings us to one other point. Now, this is just a parenthetical one. But if there are practicalities in life, there are principles that should effect and line up with what's practical. He says, I live, Lord have mercy, I feel like holly. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Whatever I do in life ought to be based on the principles of faith. Faith in his deity. Faith in his sinless blood. Faith as it relates to salvation, but also faith that dictates every decision in your life. We're not just meandering around living a helter-skelter existence. We live our lives on the principles of faith. That's why Paul said it when he said in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, we walk by faith not by sight. We live by faith. Lord, have mercy. And, and, and I wondered why did he use the metaphor of walking? Because 
Paul was actually saying that if you live by the principles of faith, you're going to grow and mature and develop and go from faith to faith. Because when he says walk by faith, Lord have mercy. When he says walk by faith, he's really uh, suggesting that walking is the inversion of the law of physics. Y'all got that? Because in the law of physics, uh, you walk, run, and fly. But in the spirit, you fly, (laughs) run, and walk. Okay, it's based on a truth. Come here, Isaiah. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. They shall mount up. That, that means when you first got saved, you were immature and you were so dumb about how far in the depths of sin you were, the Lord literally had to pick you up. Come on. And then when he picked you up and he changed your life and changed your mind and taught you the principles of faith, you had enough in your mind to know when you were in sin and you knew what you could and could not handle. So the second phase of your maturity is that you decided that I can't handle this, so I'm going to run from it. But the third maturity level is when you walk by faith, when you know your God, you know the principles of faith, and you know that you have been crucified with Christ and that Christ lives in you. And the Bible says that faith takes us to a place of maturity where we can walk through troops, leap over walls, and whatever goes on around us, we're mature enough to handle it. Do I have a witness in here? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. But are you sure? Is this the is this the fourth of your five closes? <laughs> All right. Jackie, you got Pee Wee with you. Right? Pee Wee Reese? Yes. Jackie Rose. I wanna I wanna put some practicality beyond the amazing picture that Brother Love put put forward. This idea that is personal. Yes. Ego. I. Yeah. Uh, self-preservation. That's been crucified. And this positional aspect where we stand with one another because Christ stands with us. But when we talk about the persecution, it's not, it's not just the world that persecutes us. It's, it's our ego not wanting to submit. And then our preconceived ideas of what we think we deserve. Standing before you are two men whose lives are radically different. Absolutely. And there's no reason why we should be standing together because everything in the world told us that we're different. And it's because of the cross that I, we've been crucified. And what the Lord does is he positions us in himself. And there's, there's the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And, and what you see in front of you are, are two redeemed brothers in Christ. That's the power of the gospel. Do you understand that? Do you realize what it could do to the world? Yes. Yes. What it's done for us, it can do for the entirety of the world. That's the power of Good Friday. But you have to understand that it begins with you. You have to realize that where Christ was crucified, there goes your ego. 
Absolutely. You put it up on that cross. It's no longer you who lives. It's Christ who lives in you to will and to do of his purposes. Yes. And I'll tell you what his purpose is. This. I love you. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gives us a love passion that transcends our ego, that takes us to a place where it's not about. 